You're listening to The Itch. My name is Casey. And I'm Aaron. And for only the second time, we are recording without Dan. (laughs) And that is because he does not care about our subject matter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in honor of the road to WrestleMania, we wanted to repost the rock and wrestling episode. And uh, it's an extended version. So we hope you enjoy that. Yeah, it, we're recording this a few days after the Royal Rumble, which we were super excited about. So the road to WrestleMania has begun. And um, Casey and I have a lot of fun talking about wrestling. And uh, in this particular <laughs> episode, we had so much fun that I had to trim like five or six extra minutes to get it as close to an hour as I could, because that's always my goal. This was, I think, the first of only two episodes this whole season that I just couldn't get it under an hour without feeling like I was losing significant stuff. But now I also have this extended cut here. So if you enjoy hearing people talk about wrestling and about theme music and the relationship between the two and both the role it plays and kind of a stroll down memory lane, then you will enjoy this episode. Yeah. And we enjoyed watching the Royal Rumble and uh, are excited to see the possibility of a uh, spear versus spear match with Edge versus Roman Reigns. Yeah. Casey's pulling for for that one to happen. And I, I'm inclined to agree. I think there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with that story. You got Reigns out there playing this kind of manipulative boss level character <laughs> and Edge being a guy who has a, a history of understanding how to manipulate others around him as well. I think there's something good that could be done there. And then if you get Christian involved, whew, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying when, when he came out at the rumble, my jaw actually dropped. And then when he and Edge, when Edge saw him and started crying, I almost started crying too. And so that was like the feel. How's Edge going to get the feel good moment of the wrestling year two years in a row? <laughs> He's got his own return last year and then his reuniting with Christian in the Rumble this year. And then Christian was out there looking great too. He's, this guy had been retired for what, six, seven years or something? Something like that. Yeah. Didn't look like he'd missed a step. Yeah. And then Edge coming out at number one and lasting throughout the whole thing. That's remarkable. Even, I mean, for, for a guy at his age, what he's gone through and the, and the time he's been off because he was injured for a long time after coming back to come out and hang in the ring for an hour or whatever, you know, even if you spend some of that time resting on the ropes and stuff, you're still in a wrestling match for an hour. And that is, that is an impressive enough feat and he did it well. So we also wanted to shout out to Mikey Ruckus of AEW's, music production and because he released an album and it's quality stuff it's approved yeah it's called bring the ruckus it came out a couple of weeks ago and uh, i've been listening to it and since we haven't started recording full new episodes yet we haven't had a chance to talk about it until right now but i did want to bring it up and uh mikey's been doing great work as the music producer for aew and if you go into this episode you'll hear that's a, a topic that we cover not so much him because I wasn't aware of him at the time we originally recorded this, but uh, but the people behind the scenes who make the music happen in in the wrestling world, and he's one of them. His tracks are pre- pretty fantastic. His uh, debut album, Bring the Ruckus, has a a lot of that kind of throwback rock metal sound that that uh, we grew up on and really enjoy. And so uh, we are happy to recommend it. And also, Mikey, if you yourself are listening. Uh, hit us up and let's talk because we would love to hear your thoughts on your own album as well as the work that you're doing for others and the great themes that have been coming out of uh, of AEW lately. So we hope you enjoy our reposting of the Rock and Wrestling episode. You're listening to The Itch. This is your number one station, your official station. 
You're listening to The Itch, Rock Matters. My name is Casey. And I am Aaron. And this episode is going to be a little bit different than you're used to hearing. (laughs) You may have already noticed that we are down a person. Yeah. Dan is on vacation this week and was unable to record, but Casey and I still wanted to talk about rock music. And so we decided we were just going to have to do this one on our own. Yeah, and we wanted to kind of change it up and do a topic that Dan wouldn't be sad about missing out on. (laughs) And a particular one immediately came to mind. Yes. (laughs) So we are going to discuss wrestling theme songs. We'll be focusing on the role of rock bands and kind of some of the more famous and infamous uses of, of rock music throughout the wrestling world, as we mentioned in the baseball episode. Music has a huge role to play in introducing you to someone, whether you're a batter walking up to the plate looking for some energy to to hit a home run, or whether you're a wrestler coming out for your match looking to uh, convey kind of the essence of who you are as a character. Yes, and the root of what makes wrestling good, just like any book or movie or TV show, is great storytelling. Exactly, and part of what is good for wrestling is theme songs. Yeah, you have to, like I said, you have to create a compelling character, and a part of that is the sound and the mannerisms of just the first impression that someone gives. And so you got what wrestling is, is this sort of combination of sport and story and spectacle. A little bit of carnival silliness mixed in with it. Sometimes a lot bit. Yes, yes. One of the reasons this is such a fun topic for KC and I is because it's one of the ways that we initially bonded, actually. Yeah, and I was I was trying to think back exactly how it came up in our friendship. I mean, I know we've known each other for quite a long time, and we met in college and roomed together, but I, I don't remember specifically when it's where it started, but I, I know that I always had VHS tapes or DVDs, and I would be watching them myself. So I'm sure it happened somewhere along those lines. Yeah. So backstory on that, Casey and I were roommates for, I believe, two years of college. And we definitely spent a decent amount of that time when we weren't studying or playing pranks on the people across the hall uh, (laughs) or committing the mildest acts of vandalism you can imagine. Uh, (laughs) When we weren't doing that, we were often watching or talking about or sometimes playing video games. That had to do with wrestling, because it was a mutual interest that we both had since childhood, and so it was a good bonding experience. And we've gone to quite a few uh, pay-per-view events as well over the years. I've seen a Royal Rumble, I've seen an Elimination Chamber, (laughs) we saw the prototype for what would become AEW, and we've had some experiences out there in that world. (laughs) And they've been good. I guess one of my earlier memories of that, with you anyway was playing Raw vs. SmackDown in the dorm. And yeah. I don't remember what year the game was, but I remember that the soundtrack had some great stuff on it, including um, Static X's Start a War, which was my favorite. And that has led to other good times, like you mentioned going to events and having infinite discussions about the current events of things and whether it was time to hang up the boots whenever some of it just got really bad and <laughs> being excited about newcomers onto the scene. Yes, just all the good things that comes with being a wrestling fan. (laughs) 
So you and I have been fans for most of our lives. I know you in particular have memories that probably go farther back than mine do. My earliest memories of wrestling go back to watching Saturday morning shows on like 1993 or 94 where like Lex Luger or Doink the Clown would come out and squash somebody. Yeah. I honest to goodness as a child thought that there was a sign up sheet in the back and any random schmuck could go back there and sign up <laughs> and then you would be booked into a match with someone. I seriously thought that's how it worked because those shows weren't like big name versus big name. They were like real wrestler versus random guy. Right. And so I'm like, right. could my dad go back there and like fight the Undertaker? I wouldn't want him <laughs> to, but but he could he? I didn't know. I was a child. I had no idea how it worked. But your memories, I believe, seem to go even farther back than that. Yeah, I've been a fan since I was about four years old. And honestly, couldn't tell you exactly. Like, my dad didn't mind watching wrestling, but, but I he mostly watched it because I was interested in it. And same with, like, my grandpa as well. I mean, I think that they always watched it even way before that, like wrestling at the chase days. But I don't remember just having someone, like, introduce me to it. I think I just would turn the TV on, and then I would see Hulk Hogan. And then that just kind of hooked me in, I guess, as, as a, a young kid. You were born into it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so you lived through uh, what was called the rock and wrestling era, which is a, a fitting name. Maybe we'll even use it for this episode. Yeah. And I actually want to – that's actually a great – tie-in because I kind of wanted to start there. Sure. Because being a young kid, as you go throughout life, you kind of, you remember things as they happen, but then you don't have the brain power to like fully know everything that's happening as it's happening kind of thing. And then as you grow up, you have a different perspective on, on the past. But all that to say, one of the big early music influences, at least in the WWF, was Rick Derringer. He was friends with Cindy Lauper, and he played with Edgar and Johnny Winter, and he had all kinds of hit songs in the 70s. And through his connection with Cindy Lauper, he got introduced to Vince McMahon and wanted to create the wrestling album. Ooh. So they, they created two of them, actually. They created one in 1985, and then they created Pal Driver in 1987. And from those albums, he created Hulk Hogan's Real American theme song, as well as Demolition's theme song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's some good stuff. Was it Here Comes the Axe and Here Comes the Smash? Yeah. Or something yep. along those lines. Here comes the axe and here comes the smasher, the demolition, walking disaster. Walking disaster. See, that is pretty metal right there. I mean, just <laughs> that team in general is, is pretty metal. <laughs> and then obviously Hulk Hogan's Real American being one of the more famous songs in the wrestling world of all time. I mean, I'm pretty sure he still uses it to this day whenever he randomly shows up again. Yep, they still use it. And this is the the part where I'm I'm going to reveal something uh -oh. that will make you chuckle for sure. All right. Tell me. <laughs> I'm, I'm braced for it. I'm ready. And again, so Aaron and I are huge fans of Weird Al Yankovic. And I was also 
a huge fan of his music around the same time as you know as as I was a fan of wrestling and I did not realize this as a child but doing my research for all of the wrestling stuff uh Rick Derringer was the producer of the first six Weird Al Yankovic albums the first six yep I'm pretty sure that's the entirety of the 80s maybe yep. maybe even a little 19, bit 90s 1983 to 1989 Woo boy and he uh, he got two Grammys for his efforts on producing those albums. As he should have. <laughs> so Rick Derringer, jack of all trades. He's out there working with Edgar Winter and his own band and Vince McMahon and Weird Al Yankovic. This man's and everywhere. And Cindy Lauper. And Cindy Lauper, <laughs> of course. Also a big part of that era as, as sort of the pop star in the picture. Yeah. So I, I did not realize that he was a producer and, and kind of the discoverer of Weird Al, but... There you go. <laughs> Man, I owe him a debt of gratitude. <laughs> and also, good job bringing Weird Al into yet another episode. Yes, exactly. As often as possible, Weird Al references. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that was one thing that I was reading, and I'm like, really? No no way. That's that's incredible. Like I said, <laughs> as a kid, as a kid, you don't you don't realize these things. That's fantastic. You don't know the, the inner workings of all of all the stuff, but... Uh, like I said, my, my memories, they really come in to play... In the early to mid '90s, so like I said, we had those, those squash matches. And I don't really remember people having like significant rock tracks at that point. I know there was a guy named Jim Johnston who was who produced the majority of WWF's theme songs for quite some time, and yeah. he made some fantastic pieces of work. Yeah, most notably like the Ultimate Warriors uh, theme song, which is which is a a, a chug a chug kind of. Rock track right there. That was, I mean, <laughs> the song was pure energy because if you remember the Ultimate Warrior's entrance, it was just a guy running down to the ring as fast as his steroided body could take him, <laughs> and and it just the song just needed to be pure masculine energy, and that's uh -huh. what it was. So they captured the essence of that character, even as he got out of breath before the match even started. <laughs> and so. <laughs> Yeah, but then it came. I mean, it comes into play some somewhat similar to the same time that I started paying attention to rock music. In most cases, so you kind of have, I guess you call it like the grunge era, that kind of thing. Yes, and so I would hear those theme songs, those like custom made ones that were were great for the characters, and then I would flip over to ECW in, in the mid to late nineties. And to the best of my recollection, for the most part, they just flat out had regular songs that you heard on the radio. I mean, the Sandman yeah. would spend five minutes getting to the ring while the entirety of Metallica's Enter Sandman played. And he was just standing in the crowd pouring beer on himself. <laughs> but yes. the entrance was so awesome because even though the Sandman sucked... Enter Sandman, as we mentioned also in the baseball episode, is a fantastic entrance song. <laughs> yes. And, you know, if if your name is Sandman. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, you it have fits to. perfectly. You have to. <laughs> and so that was just one of the first examples that came to mind for me. Yeah. And let's we're going to discuss some of the ECW themes. Just. Oh, are we? Just. Yeah, just to kind of put things in perspective a little bit. All right. 
I mean, one of the first ones, you know, and ECW started around 93, if I remember correctly, but they didn't gain a lot of steam until 94, 95. But you had Public Enemy that they came to Here Comes the Hot Stepper by <laughs> I Need Kamozi. I love that song. Every so, once in a while, I still do that song in my head or out loud. That's right. Na, 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 na. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, and then you have, I mean, if you look back at those old tapes, the, the entire crowd is just waving their hands back and forth like they're like they're at a concert. Public Enemy so, <laughs> was great at getting people hyped. They would just come out, they would have the hands waving there, they'd have like a table under their arms. You're like, those two big dudes are going to either put somebody through that or get put through that, and either way, it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is multiple guys kind of used the same bands. <laughs> they used... A lot of Metallica. They used a lot of Offspring. Uh, Raven came out to yes, come out and play. Come out and play. I had forgotten about that. And that those drums. That that song kills me every time. We're gonna cut that because I can't do the drum. But um, it was. I love. I love that. Yeah, I know. I know Raven's one of your favorites. So Raven was my favorite wrestler of the nineties. Yes. But you had you had him come out the off to the offspring. You had Tommy Dreamer come out to Alice in Chains' "Man in a Box," which was a fantastic choice as well. These things became iconic with these characters, and so like we still have mental associations with them to this day. And when you hear those intros, you just your mind goes right to those guys. Right. You had uh, Rob Van Dam come out to Pantera's "Walk." Uh, you had. Shane Douglas come out to Perfect Strangers by Deep Purple, which is, he continued to use that for a long, long time. We'll, we'll get into the second part of that here in a little bit. <laughs> but uh, some of the interesting ones that they used, and again, these are straight using the exact oh, song. Yeah. Like, this is stuff that you could not do today. Somebody had the cassette or the CD <laughs> in the background, in the back, and, and put it in and busted it through the sound system of the ECW arena. Yeah, and you, you could not get away with that today, post-Napster era. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that, that ECW's head honcho, Paul Heyman, just like sent somebody to Circuit City before the show started and be like, <laughs> this guy's debuting. We need the new Pearl Jam record. <laughs> yeah. He's going to come out to something. <laughs> but some of the interesting choices, like uh, Terry Funk came out to Desperado by the Eagles. That seems fitting. <laughs> it does. And one of the more interesting ones with Steve Austin's cup of coffee <laughs> being in ECW, as the extreme superstar, he came out to Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar. That is um, that is bold, <laughs> but if there's one thing that ECW was, it was it was bold and brazen. They they did not really care. They were definitely more of the um, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission kind of organization. And, yes, and I don't think they really ever asked for either. No, <laughs> and I wanted to kind of do a rundown of a couple specific. Oh, you got more? Yeah, a little bit more. Okay, okay. <laughs> so Axel Rotten came down to at least like seven different songs. <laughs> Make up your mind, Axel. <laughs> he came out to... Your music uh, choices are rotten. That's what they are. 
<laughs> he came out to Beastie Boys fight for your right to party. Okay, I lied. He has good taste. And then he came out to multiple Marilyn Manson songs. Never mind, it's bad. <laughs> Sweet Dreams, Antichrist Superstar, among others. And then he also came out to kick out the jams by Monster Magnet. You know, <laughs> kick out the jams has been covered a lot. Yes. I don't think I've heard the Monster Magnet version. I have heard the Presidents of the United States version, and that's fantastic. Yes. I would totally recommend somebody use that song to this day as an entrance. So that that's Axel Rotten's uh, grouping there. Before I get to some of the other groupings, Metalhead Jerry Lynn used to come out to uh, Scapegoat by Fear Factory. That sounds like a definitely 1998-style choice. Yeah. But Jerry Lynn was a, a notorious metalhead. Yes. And also a notoriously good wrestler who never really got the maybe credit that he deserved. Simon Diamond came out to drain STH's Simon Says. Can I just give you a sneak preview right now that it's fantastic that you mentioned that because I was actually planning to mention drain STH later. And <laughs> I don't think anybody has mentioned drain STH on a podcast episode in like 20 years and so i was really excited to bust that out before podcasting even was happening right and you you beat me to it so that means they're gonna get shouted out twice in this episode and that's just awesome because i kind of miss that band even though they were brief they were fun so yeah simon says because that's what he did as a character and that was a also a great song for him this that was the he, i mean simon says look up drain sth if you're not familiar they're a swedish rock band that existed in the 90s and uh, they were they were good times. Keeping along those lines, Al Snow came out to Prodigy's Breathe, as well as Tajiri came out to Smack My Bitch Up. Oh, Tajiri, how rude. <laughs> now, he did kick people's faces off a lot. So <laughs> I guess it makes sense. But And then you had Balls Mahoney come out to ACDC's Big Balls. The less said about that, the better. <laughs> Chris Candido came out to both Back in Black by ACDC as well as Suicide Blonde by NXS. Chris Candido, for those of you listening who weren't particular wrestling fans, um, was known throughout most or all of his career for having the bleachest blonde hair. And so that totally makes sense. <laughs> One of the most infamous theme songs is whenever New Jack hit the scene, and yes. you get to hear the entire song looped at least three or four times <laughs> of the Natural Born Killers, uh, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube. So that was so novel to me. New Jack's character was that he was basically the most street thug guy that you could imagine. Like, he might actually murder you in the ring. <laughs> and so... And he tried. And, and, and he was <laughs> notorious for... A, occasionally actually trying to do that but but whenever he would come out he would come wandering to the ring with like a trash can full of weapons and stuff and yep. and his song would be playing the entire time he was out there it wasn't just an intro song it was a soundtrack to the beatdown he was about to give somebody <laughs> so he would go into the ring and start smashing people with chairs and whatever and other guitars guitars whatever he had with him and the song would be playing the whole time until he was done, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure if he had real matches or if he just came out and hit people. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. But yeah, so you got like five 
or more minutes of his song just playing on loop. And it was a great soundtrack for the violence occurring right there. (laughs) And so, but what a different approach to take right there. And like I said, that was part of the experience of who that character was, was that song playing. And granted that particular one isn't a rock track, but the effect is still the same in creating the mood and the experience for the fans who were there. When you started to hear that one playing, you knew that it was about to get nuts in that ring. You had Aaron's second favorite wrestler, Danny Doring, come out to Super Bon Bon by Soul Coughing. <laughs> okay, so I don't actually really remember who that guy is, but I do remember who Soul Coughing is and Super Bon Bon. Maybe he is my favorite, my second favorite now, just for that song. <laughs> I couldn't tell you a match he ever had, but he was he was the uh, tag team partner of Roadkill, the Angry Amish Roadkill. That was right. <laughs> <laughs> ECW Chip. had a man who was huge and Amish, and he barely spoke. To my chickens. recollection, he mostly just would shout the word chickens now and then. <laughs> yep, he would just say chickens. And they called him the Angry Amish Roadkill. So, <laughs> <laughs> and his partner came out to Super Bon Bon. So, I think if that doesn't explain what wrestling is to you, then I don't know what would. <laughs> All right, before we before we end our ECW rundown, there's two groupings that were just too good to not mention. So I'm going to mention one superstar who just has completely random tracks Oof, you all have, throughout. You've gone down the wormhole real deep on this one. Yes, yes. All <laughs> right, so first, the, the interesting ones. These are all from Nova. So Nova was in ECW for a really long time. Known for inventing a lot of moves, and yes. also for being part of the Blue World Order. Yes. So, here's just some of the songs that Nova came out to over the years. This is going to infuriate me. Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. Okay. Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. Yep, I was right. This is going to infuriate me. <laughs> the <laughs> Ghostbusters theme by Ray Parker Jr. Doesn't make sense, but I still like it. Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if he used that as he was Hollywood Nova or not, but... (laughs) Hollywood Nova was the time that Nova was doing a ripoff of Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yes. Intergalactic by the Beastie Boys. Now you got a winner. Intergalactic makes the most sense if your name is Nova. Of all those tracks that you mentioned, that's the one that works the best. And finally, Mbop by Hanson. Because... 97. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I appreciate whenever, actually, whenever wrestlers or promoters or whoever have a sense of humor and they throw somebody out there to a song like that. Because especially in front of a crowd like the ECW crowd had, you know you're getting a reaction of some sort. Whether it's adoration or hatred, you're getting a reaction and that's what you want. And so. Definitely. And. All right, so now I'll move on to the guy that used the best grouping of songs. The, he has a okay, so he has a he has multiple songs in there, and all top notch choices. Yep. All right. Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey Whipwreck was a guy that was just kind of a fan that somehow worked his way into setting up the ring and then becoming a wrestler and, and training while just kind of being at the shows. And he was kind of just a the lovable loser type character. So he came out to Loser by Beck. <laughs> then he came out to Pepper 
by the butthole surfers. Oh man, I didn't know if there would ever come a day where we mentioned Pepper. <laughs> he also came out to Bomb Track by Rage Against the Machine. Is this like as he progresses up the ranks? Because if you're going yeah. from those first two, t- two tracks to Bomb Track, it sounds like you're becoming pretty formidable. Yes. And then in one of the video packages, they used Say It Ain't So by Weezer, who also sang about ECW in one of their songs. They did in El Scorcho. (laughs) He sings about liking a girl and reading her diary, right? Yes. And within within her diary, he discovers that she enjoys watching ECW because she mentions watching Johnny Grunge from The Public Enemy, as we mentioned. Leg drop New Jack, who we also mentioned, through a table, which was yes. a thing that happened a lot. <laughs> and apparently that was one of the things that he that Rivers loved about her in El Scorcho. <laughs> yes. So that's the rips that ECW used that made their product what it was. <laughs> Can I make a note? I was just thinking as you were going through some of your list, going back to Raven's theme, because he's he's the guy that stands out to me. There's a little bit of irony in Raven using Come Out and Play as a song, because Come Out and Play is a song that is basically mocking the senselessness of gang violence. And Raven, throughout most of his career, his shtick was that he would assemble a gaggle of followers that did his bidding, mostly that bidding included jumping people as a gang. And so, (laughs) and so I think there's something a little bit ironic about that. He also later in his career had long blonde braids, which is something that Dexter from the offspring had early in his career. (laughs) Connections. So yeah, ECW just blatantly used whatever to my knowledge, they never got in trouble for it. Whereas we're sitting here trying to avoid playing any of these songs in the podcast because we could get sued for that kind of thing. And they just ran (laughs) shows and put them on public television all throughout Philadelphia for years and years and nobody batted an eye. Right. And if you try to watch any of the old ECW shows on the WWE Network, they have to dub over all of the music. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm sure that has to be that has to be a challenge. Yeah, (laughs) Pretty incredible. The guy whose job is to scrub that stuff out. Ugh. Yeah. He better be getting paid well. But then you went over to WCW, which was yeah. actually my favorite in the late 90s. That was the one that I would watch whenever we had cable. And I would call up one of my friends and we would discuss what happened and the battle between Sting and the New World Order and all that good stuff. And <laughs> WCW was higher profile than ECW, but they also um, knew a little bit better. And so rather than just blatantly use those songs, though they occasionally did have guest musicians and even musicians turned wrestlers, which we can totally talk about for a second in a minute here, (laughs) they commissioned um, knockoffs of famous rock songs rather than paying for the rights or just not paying for the rights to use copyrighted music. Yeah. uh, Jimmy Hart who's really big in in the wrestling business as a manager, was actually a singer before he got into the wrestling business. So he knew a lot about copyright stuff and knew that if you changed enough of the notes and enough of the song, that it wouldn't hold up in court. The Vanilla Ice argument, 
as it were. Yes, yes, yes. Now, by today's standards, I don't know if that would even hold up, but back then, it did. They were obvious. <laughs> Those tracks were obvious. <laughs> yeah, like Diamond Dallas Page, Self High Five, which was a blatant Smells Like Teen Spirit Nirvana cover. Absolutely. Raven came out to another Nirvana c- cover uh, of Come As You Are. Which I actually think was an even better fit for him than yeah. Come Out and Play was. Yes. Raven was the wrestling version of Nirvana. He was angsty right. and poetic, a little bit funny, and certainly rocked the flannel. He, he, he was the embodiment of that at that time. Yeah. He embraced the, the grunge uh, more than probably anybody. He did, <laughs> right up until he got those uh, blonde braids yeah. and started wearing a kilt. Yes. But anyway. Chris Jericho was very disappointed, actually, to come out to his theme song. Cause really? Bl- well, because Chris is a very musically inclined guy. Chris Jericho, the man who fronts his own metal band to this day. Yes. Fozzie. Fozzie. <laughs> and now, which we'll get to later, comes to the ring to his own music. But this is yes. before that was a thing. Yes. But you had Chris Jericho come out to a version of Pearl Jam's Even Flow. I thought that was great. I don't know. I, in retrospect, he probably could have had something that fit his character better, but it was it was fun to hear knock off even flow. Yeah. You had Rick Steiner come out to a version of Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Which, with as nuts as Axel is, I'm really surprised that they never got in trouble for that one. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Axel Rose tried. Right. Maybe he did, and we just don't. We just forgot. Perry Saturn came out to Marilyn Manson's Beautiful People. This was uh, Perry Saturn, I lost a match where I had to wear a dress by losing, and then decided to keep wearing the dress because I liked it. Perry Saturn, right? Yes. And then he he decided that Marilyn Manson was the way to go. He pretty much just turned into goth Perry Saturn. He did. He went from like, what was he, like a, a army ranger or something? Yep. An, an, yep. Uh, an actual army ranger. Yes. Like tu- yes. like legitimate tough guy. A, a decorated army ranger. Yeah. Who went from that and turned into this strange, like, cross-dressing goth kind of character for a while. And then he kind of went in and out of playing crazy, crazier characters as he went on in his career. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. You had Jeff Jarrett come out to Kid Rock's Cowboy. Mostly that intro. It just, it, yeah. that really tipped you off. <laughs> Can I just mention that I've never liked Kid Rock or Jeff Jarrett? And so that was <laughs> that was a perfect fit right there, because every time that note would hit, I'd be like, oh, man, I'm about to have to change the channel on this guy. Change the channel. <laughs> I don't want to hear him or see him. And Raw is also on right now, so I don't know why I need to leave it here. So the Monday Night Wars oh, gave man. you options. So when you heard Jeff Jarrett come to the ring, you could change it. Whichever company he was with, you just go to the other one. Uh, there's a there's another podcast, a wrestling podcast. the the host refers to Jeff Jarrett as the human fast-forward button. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. So he's he's universally uh, thought of in that way by multiple people, actually. <laughs> he's not wrong at all. <laughs> <laughs> you had Shane Douglas use another version of uh, Perfect Strangers by Deep Purple, also in WCW. So he went from using the actual Perfect Strangers to their knockoff of Perfect, Perfect Strangers? Yes. Nice. And this will be the last one that I have, but it's it's very awesome. 
you had the artist formerly known as Prince yes. Iakea <laughs> come out to a version of Prince's Purple Rain. Yes. <laughs> Which that was just a complete knockoff of everything. His whole character was Prince. <laughs> yeah. He was Prince Iakea. He was he was this islander dude. And then he became the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea, where he came out dressed in purple and being extra pretentious. I think this was during or right after the time when Prince became a symbol. Yes. And so I kind of appreciated them slightly making fun of him for that because that was kind of silly. But Prince Iakea, nobody, he wasn't yeah. that big a thing. <laughs> I got a couple more I want to add here for for fun. Yeah, go for it. You can't forget Ernest the Cat Miller in WCW. Yes. Who came yes. out to what was essentially James Brown's get up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because the dude the dude was funky, he could dance, he had his moves, and so they just gave him that track. And then also, probably the biggest one was the NWO's theme song. The song that Hulk Hogan would come out playing air guitar to with the WCW championship for like two years. <laughs> yes. To Jimi Hendrix, Voodoo Child. Yep. Which that <laughs> It was a great song. That one I can do. I can't do the drums from Come Out and Play, but I can do that. <laughs> so WCW was really, they were good at that. And I, at the time, there was a number of those songs that just completely skipped past me. I didn't know that they were knockoffs of stuff until later on. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I see what you were doing. That savvy Jimmy Hart way to keep from getting sued. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think you it, that kind of brings us to today where what you have going on is something kind of in between where you have, you still have a lot of custom made tracks like WWE used uh, another production uh, team to create a lot of their more recent things. And I don't know that they necessarily have knockoffs of stuff. No. Yeah. But it's a lot of custom stuff, and then occasionally they will uh, essentially buy the rights to a song from a big band. Or they'll just commission a band to yeah. create a song for a theme. So sometimes they will they'll either buy the rights to an established song, or they will commission a band to work on a theme for one of their wrestlers. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of the you know, a lot of the guys in the music industry are really big wrestling fans in general. You have uh Triple H that came out to three different songs by Motorhead. Three? I can even only think of two. You had The Game, you have Evolution when he came out with his group, and then you have King of Kings. I, I just, I love the sound of Lemmy's voice is so perfect for Triple H that it really is an association now for me. If I hear anything, even if I hear like the Ace of Spades or something, I still think of Triple H. <laughs> Yeah, it's perfect for for what they used it for. That was a fantastic one. And there's been other there's been other guys that recently that have had I mean, WWE's wrestling themes, you have iconic stuff in there. Like the first time you hear the bell chime for the Undertaker's theme, it's you it's about to get epic and we've been in the arena whenever that entrance happens and just <laughs> as a fun note, they lower the temperature of the arena when the Undertaker comes out. So, not only do you hear this graveyard symphony playing, but it actually gets colder when he's coming to the ring. And I thought that was the first time that happened. I thought that was genius. Right. I remember that was at the, 
Elimination Chamber, if I remember right. Which was also the time that he caught on fire in his entrance accidentally. Yes. yes. (laughs) But when we when we were sitting on the floor, they kicked on they kicked on the air, and I said, "Oh, Undertaker's about to come out." (laughs) You caught you literally caught wind of what was going on. You're like, "Oh, I feel a breeze. It's about to be Undertaker time." (laughs) And, And you thought that that was the funniest thing for like the longest time. I do. I still. Like I said, I think it's brilliant. Like what a what a nice touch to add. But man, yes. I mean, I mean, that to say, WWE, WWF have had their share of fantastic themes. One of my all-time favorite ones, and and you'll know this one, was a certain vampire called Gangrel, <laughs> who had the coolest theme song and entrance I've ever seen. He he rose out of the ramp through a ring of fire, and the beat to that track still pops into my head to this day randomly, even though Gangrel's been gone for years. Um, <laughs> Casey, if you recall, whenever we were roommates in college, <laughs> I used to use a theme song to wake up. I, it was like junior year of college or something. I decided to self-motivate really hard by <laughs> by using Shawn Michaels' Sexy Boy theme as my alarm in the morning to wake up. And so... <laughs> yeah, another one created by Jimmy Hart. See, there you go. <laughs> Actually, another DX one that was really big was uh, Run DMC. The Kings was the actual title of the song, but it was basically using the DX theme song. And the DX theme song itself, the original one, if I remember right, it was a band called Connecticut Yankee that never really went anywhere. But they yeah. they functionally... So WCW would make knockoff themes. WWF went so far as to pretty much make a knockoff band. Because this band that did DX's theme and then the spinoffs for like X-Pac and some guys yes. was basically Rage Against the Machine taken yes. down a couple of notches. Yeah. It wasn't really Rage, but they were a sound-alike band. And so right. they took it in a slightly different direction. Cause, cause that, and that DX theme is fantastic to this day. But yes. even as the you know the guys who come out to it are like 50 years old and, and you know <laughs> hardly rebellious degenerates anymore, they actually run the show now and are pretty darn corporate. But So there's a little <laughs> bit of irony in it. But... Uh, <laughs> But man, that that was a good track, and I remember they they had that band perform that live at a WrestleMania one time, I believe. Yes, and it, it was fun. Definitely. And then they moved. They had Run DMC do a version, The Kings of Rock. Yeah, good stuff from them, and they actually uh, have been tied to WWE for a long time. They actually performed at WrestleMania Five, believe it or not. Run DMC. Yep. Good on them. They've got a long <laughs> relationship. <laughs> You have uh, P.O.D. doing Rey Mysterio's theme song. Yep, the Booyaka. Yep. <laughs> P.O.D., the connection there being that P.O.D. and Rey Mysterio are both from the San Diego area. Yes. 3-6 Mafia have Somebody's Gonna Get It. <laughs> Mark Henry's theme song. <laughs> oh, man. Can, can we do this one? We need to say this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so what's the actual lyrics to, to that? Uh, Mark Henry's intro. Mark Henry is a giant. His shtick is that he was legitimately one of the world's strongest men. Huge, wide, and tough as they come. And so this this song, somebody's gonna get it. W- what was the original lyrics to it when you come out? It's, uh, somebody's gonna get their ass kicked. Somebody's gonna get their wig split. Somebody's gonna get their ass kicked. And then they say... Beat him up, beat him up, break his neck, break his neck, beat him up, beat him up, break his neck, break his neck. <laughs> so it's pretty violent. Especially yes. when you're talking about splitting wigs. 
for one who doesn't know what that means, it means he's about to bust your head open. Casey and I loved that song, and we loved Mark Henry. I'll be honest, I don't remember if we made this up or if we discovered it, but I feel like we need to share it right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you want to do the honor of, of sharing our <laughs> our parody of Mark Henry's song? See, and I don't need... Did you make this up or did you find this on a message board somewhere? If I'm being honest, I think I found it somewhere, but I also would like to think that I at least modified it or added some of it myself. But I can't promise you that. I might have just ripped it off from some random guy on the internet. Yeah, but the version that we came up with, or came across rather, was somebody order up a ham steak. Somebody order up some pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Henry going to eat 30 eggs. 30 eggs. (laughs) Still Still hungry. hungry. Still hungry, so he ate the table legs. So he ate the table legs. Eat them up. (laughs) Eat them up. (laughs) Oh. That was wonderful. And so every time to this day that I see Mark Henry, that's what I think about, is him <laughs> being so hungry that he eats the table legs after his dinner. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you gotta eat some, gotta get that protein before you lift, or after you lift, or however weightlifting goes, I don't know. Or beat people down. You can't split wigs on an empty stomach. <laughs> but, uh, diverging from the topic, but we had to do that one. Yes. So, WWE... And what's cool is that sometimes within their tracks, you would have, you know, an originally designed song. And then they would commission somebody else. The the D-Generation X into Run DMC, The Kings of Rock, which was a very similar track. They would do that occasionally. So you had Kane, for example, who had this kind of, I don't know, pensive, evil, yeah, (laughs) symphony kind of thing going on. And eventually they commissioned Finger Eleven to write a track that was basically a take on that song. And it was called Slow Chemical. And it was pretty great. We've played it on the show before, actually. We have. We've played a number of songs that were used by wrestlers on the show before. I don't know if you recall one CM Punk who had at least two songs that we played on the show. One by Killswitch Engage called This Fire Burns. And the other, which was the one that he was hankering for from the beginning, he actually... I discovered this. Punk actually wanted Killswitch to do a cover of this song, but it didn't yeah. happen. He ended up with that one. And then later on, whenever he came back and he was white hot, he got to come back with the track that he had always, I think, wanted to come out to. Living Colors, Cult of Personality. Yep. Which was a great fit for him because CM Punk was a cult of personality. Yeah. By the by, before he got to WWE, CM Punk came out to an AFI song <laughs> on the indies. <laughs> and nice. it was a good track for him. It was a great fit, actually. You actually had uh, Saliva was really big with WWE over the years. They had three songs. They did a theme song for a WrestleMania at some point, didn't they? They had that. Like, pretty much any time they had an album come out, it, it was a theme song for one of their pay-per-views. Mm. We haven't really br- brought that into the conversation yet, but that is one thing that they definitely do, where the pay-per-view every pay-per-view has a theme song which is just another way to you know cross promote kind of thing oh yeah but saliva had uh themes for chris jericho the dudley boys and batista you know i i honestly don't remember jericho using anything other than break the walls down i know saliva had that song it was it the king of my world or something yeah it, he I, only used it for like a year i tr- yeah i truly 
I truly don't remember him using that. You had Disturbed with a version of Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme, Glass Shatters. Yep. He only used that for a couple years as well, but it was during the height of Attitude Era. Stone Cold's actual glass shattering and his regular entrance was iconic enough that that one yeah. actually kind of took away it did. from what he did. <laughs> and he got a couple of the biggest ones that I remember for that. Was One was when The Undertaker turned into a biker. Yes. To which he had a couple of different tracks during that period, didn't he? It was Kid Rock was one, which I hate to mention him again, but here yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> but the main one was Limp Bizkit, uh Keep Rolling. Keep Rolling. And so I hate to mention them too. I'm not sure why I just brought up The Undertaker right now. That I, <laughs> I immediately regret my, regret my decision, but it happened. And so. Yeah. Our Lady Peace had a, a song that Chris Benoit came out to. Yeah. won't. We won't discuss too much further than that. But it was it was a it was a great song. Whatever is really probably among my favorite Our Lady Peace tracks. Yes, mine as well. Here's a good one. One that this one really did become iconic. And actually, this guy used a legit track earlier in his career, and then switched over into a different one. So Edge. Yes. Edge. Um, his theme song pretty much since he joined for 20 years or something now has started with this "You Think You Know Me" line. And But what was cool about him was that his theme song would change over the years, but that intro line would stay throughout basically everything that he used. And so early right. on in his career, he came out to Rob Zombie's Never Gonna Stop, which yes. at, at the time I thought was really cool. Well, and it was, a new, it was a new song at the time, too. Yeah. But then he got the Alter Bridge song. <laughs> Metalingus. Metalingus. And <laughs> that, that, to this day, I also think is just one of the coolest and most fitting tracks for a guy and uh, just not to segue too much but the fact that edge came back after i don't remember how many years it was but too many nine and a half years nine and a half years when his his neck and spine were messed up and they said you're never going to get back and eventually he discovered that he medically could do it and so now within this year we actually got to hear that song again and it was just that was just a wonderful moment. I just want to note that. <laughs> happy to have Edge back. Happy to hear his theme song. Yeah. Just a cool dude. <laughs> so then you've got the new guys in town. So we mentioned Chris Jericho earlier. Jericho is the front man for a metal band called Fozzy. And Jericho is also pretty much the marquee signing for AEW, the upstart wrestling organization that, that's only been around for about a year and a half now. And uh, so Jericho, as as part of his character and part of his deal, is he he kind of plays up this I'm a big rock star kind of character. And to that degree, he uses Judas, a song from one of his albums, as his theme, his entrance theme. And not only is the song great for his character, but it became a huge thing. And before we got to this point where there are no crowds really at shows, before the world got COVIDed, Jericho, despite being a villain, would come to the ring and have the entire arena singing like the first minute and a half of his song to the point where he slowed down like his entrance and would just kind of take it in and let it happen because it yeah. was organically happening amongst the crowd. And so it became a big hit. I don't know if it was a, any type of a hit in terms of a financial success if they got streams and downloads and purchases, but a big hit in terms of it was incredibly popular with the live audience. I don't have the the numbers to back up what I'm about to say, 
as as we've mentioned before, we we don't overly fact check. <laughs> but I can fire up the Google. What do you got? Well, it just I, I'm pretty sure uh, Judas is one of Fozzie's biggest hits, just in general, because I, I believe it was played on the radio and everything else. If you go to Fozzie's Spotify page, Judas is the number one track on there. Yeah. And it's a really good song. It is a good song. And it works perfectly for him. And another big one, we were talking earlier about that sort of um, custom requesting tracks, I guess. Uh, Cody Rhodes, the son of the legendary Dusty Rhodes, has a pretty fantastic song. AEW seems to have a relationship with this band called Downstate. I know they've done a few tracks that were related to things AEW has done. And one of them is called Kingdom. And that is the entrance song that Cody uses. And so Downstate's Kingdom it pretty much is the story, in a sense, of Cody's career. Cody famously left WWE because he was unhappy there and eventually formed his own promotion. He was like, you know what? I have bigger ambition than this. I don't need to be taking orders and you know wasting away doing something I don't enjoy under somebody else's leadership when I can do this my way. And so... You know, the chorus to this track of Kingdom is, you took it all all away, I gave it all away, you can't take my freedom. Here to change the game, a banner made of pain, I built my kingdom. And so he's discussing about how AEW basically is the kingdom that he, that his work has built. And earlier on in that song, there's a fantastic line that says, my father said when I was younger, hard times breed better men, which is a note not only to the struggle that he was enduring of, of the work that he had to put in to get where he was, but also a direct line from his father's most famous promo. Like I said, his father, the legendary Dusty Rhodes, and yeah. the Hard Times promo is you know, regarded in wrestling history, correct me if I'm wrong, as one of the most iconic speeches ever. Right up there with, with Austin 316 and some of those things. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is. It's a huge promo with some of his battles with Ric Flair because they went back and forth. And so Dusty passed away a few years ago. And so Cody includes that line in his, in his song in part as a tribute to his dad, which I just think is fantastic. And so this is another example of where that song plays. And you actually hear the character's story as he's making his way to the ring. And it works so perfectly for him. Right. Downstate, in addition to doing stuff with AW before AW was a thing, they actually did a couple of themes for WWE as well. They did themes for The Miz and also for Alex Riley. Oh, and those are good themes. Do you know Al Alex Riley was probably more known for having a great theme. It was Say It to My Face, right? Yes. yes. He was better known for having a great theme than he was as a wrestler. And that's not necessarily a knock on him. It's just people dug that song. <laughs> yes. And then the Miz is uh you know I came to play his kind of famous thing that he's used for a long time now. Downstate loves them some wrestling themes. Yeah, they do. They're good at it. They are good at it. Except <laughs> except live. I, <laughs> I I saw them play Kingdom and uh, it wasn't so hot. Sometimes you're just a studio band. That's true. That's true. And also, you know, <laughs> playing at a wrestling performance isn't the same as playing at you know your own concert like even yeah, the this, sound this and stuff like it's just not quite the same thing which brings us i think you set this up nicely 
Which brings us to our flavor of the week, because yes, we have one. <laughs> we do. So Bray Wyatt, who probably is one of your current favorite uh, wrestlers, because we tend to enjoy just the more cerebral, I guess you would call it. Cerebral and strange. Yes. <laughs> Bray Wyatt's character, for anyone who's not familiar but is still listening to this, and just, just God bless you if you're doing that. Uh, <laughs> Bray Wyatt's character was basically this cult leader from the Louisiana Bayou. He's very charismatic and very um, hard to pin down what he's actually talking about. Uh, and he's a little bit creepy. And see, he had this entrance song called Live in Fear, which was pretty mellow. It was very, it was a little unnerving how mellow it was. <laughs> um and last year, he kind of created a new character for himself that he calls the Fiend, which is basically him uninhibited. It's this monster, basically, that comes out and is completely unafraid to to do dastardly things to people. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, it is. And and he has a mask and he has... He, he's, he a, has he's a horror contacts. movie character. Yeah. He's a horror movie character, so... He's horrifying. Yes. <laughs> And so the band Code Orange did a, a remake of Live in Fear, which is just known as The Fiend. Yep, and so it takes some of the original sound or lines from his original song, and some of the lines that he uses uh, as a character, and just makes, just cranks the volume and the evil up in them to 11. That song took me the first couple of times I heard it. I was like, this is an epic entrance yes. that he had going on for him. And so that was actually my first exposure to Code Orange. They're a, I don't want to call this, Dan hates labels, remember. But <laughs> I still feel like at some point you have to differentiate. And this is a band because they're kind of outside of the spectrum of what we usually talk about. I feel like we should. Yes. They're kind of, um, I guess, metal Metalcore. Yeah, like a hardcore band. And one of the reasons why this album actually is, in my opinion, worth talking about, even though it's generally not a genre that I like, is because they incorporate a lot of different styles. But that's probably what I would ultimately call them. Yes. And so they are heavy and they are vicious. And they, quote unquote, performed at a recent NXT pay-per-view called In Your House. Uh, they performed the title track from their album that came out earlier this year underneath and that performance even though it was a studio performance designed to look live i right. i watched it a couple earlier today and i was like okay <laughs> this isn't purely live but it still again was captivating they were intense and they seemed like they they just grabbed your attention very well yeah and code orange actually had performed with wwe uh, before they did the Fiend theme song, I believe they also performed with a band, Incendiary, and they performed Alistair Black's Root of All Evil song. Okay. Which is another great current theme song. Yeah, another very, like I said, there's a lot of metal in uh, current WWE. So yeah, Code Orange has, I think, a relationship with WWE for one reason or another, and have done multiple things, so... But they have a new, a new album, and it is really, really good, actually. 
Casey and I were talking earlier about how how we've both listened to this album quite a few times in the past week, and we've also both, if you listen to previous records, gone on record as saying that how do I put this? Uh, screamy bands aren't our thing. Yeah, and this is a screamy band. <laughs> it is, and not only is it a screamy band, but it's different types of screams, and it screams by different people in the band. It's, yes, it's a diverse <laughs> plethora. Uh, uh, it's a smorgasbord of screams. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I will I will say that they've definitely grown as a band. I wasn't overly familiar with them before we uh, were doing research for this podcast, but I, I did listen to two of their previous albums. And their first album is more like a, just a straight metalcore, which they're fantastic musicians. Like the music, yes. musically, they are great. It's just the, as my own personal taste, I prefer, I mean, I, I appreciate screaming and I, I enjoy bands, you know, like System of a Down who can both sing great melodic things and then also scream their faces off kind of thing mm. but they're they're masters at, at doing that and not everybody can be as great as certain people but <laughs> i feel like if you're if you're gonna play some music you need to have some sort of singing behind it and their first two albums were just more straight screaming i mean they had a couple of tracks here and there where they tried to sing but for underneath they took it a different direction and they they have a lot of industrial sounds throughout the album they do and they use some of the industrial sounds on the vocals which i don't know how to describe it exactly so here's here's something i i discovered so first off even as far as my first listen to this album the the if i had to summarize it in like one sentence i would say it sounds like the soundtrack to a horror film. Yes, it which is, is why they why they fit perfectly with Bray Wyatt. Right. It, yeah, it's unsettling <laughs> the whole way through. Um, and and one of the reasons why I think that is touching on those industrial elements you mentioned. One of the band members is uh, a woman named Reba Myers, and yes. she's one of three people, uh, four people. She's one of four people in the band that sing actually. Yes. And she not only does some some really good clean vocals, but also does some of the guttural yeah. those growls. Those are her too, by the yes. way. But anyway, yes. she mentioned that she likes to include what she calls evil sounds that you wouldn't actually think were from a guitar. And so within the songs, you hear a lot of these strange ambient, I don't know, squeaks and blips and stuff that kind of sounds like it's from like a haunted house or something. And, yeah, and that adds a lot to their tracks. It's this like nightmare of chaos going on in some of their songs, and that's why I call it unsettling, but kind of in a good way. In that I feel like it takes skill to create that kind of art that they're creating. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mentioned her her guitar because actually I think her guitar that she has is kind of a prototype that was created with a, a guitar company. I don't, sorry, I don't have the information in front of me, but it was a long process that the, the guitar is specifically made for her. Oh, that would explain so how she's she, able to get those things. Yeah. So she, she takes her guitar playing very seriously. Yeah. Her guitar is uh, something called the LTD RM 600. And she, it's from uh, ESP guitars, which, I free publicity for you guys, I guess. I don't know. 
Anyway, <laughs> she she helped create this, and I recommend looking it up. It is uh, a beast of a guitar. Yeah, it's it's also very scary look, looking in its own right. Naturally, <laughs> as uh, clearly that's how she would want it. Can I, can I side sidetrack real quick? Yeah. Um, speaking of how things look, uh, the humor to me, whenever we watched, I watched the In Your House, their performance was the first image you see on the pay-per-view is of one of their male singers, because the drummer is also a singer, which I think is amazing anytime it happens. Yeah, right, right. But their other male singer, his face is the first thing that pops into the screen, and he actually looks like a guy named Damien Priest, who is on NXT. <laughs> so I tune in, and I'm like, is that the guy that's going to fight later, singing a song to start the show? That's so bizarre. And then I look over, and it gets better, because they got this bassist, who is this ripped blonde dude, short blonde hair, clearly enjoys not having his shirt on. <laughs> and I look at him and I'm like, that guy looks like somebody stuffed Brock Lesnar into the body <laughs> of Todd from Breaking Bad. That's what he looks like. <laughs> and that guy was hilarious to me. He was comedically intense. And I don't know if he was just overdoing it or if he was... <laughs> If he was intentionally <laughs> overdoing it, I don't know if it was an accident or on purpose, but he was <laughs> cracking me up in the great, the best way the whole time, just looking like this tiny, angry Brock Lesnar <laughs> playing a metal <laughs> song at a wrestling show. I was like, this couldn't be a more perfect fit. And yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good comparison. Even Reba looked a tiny bit like Ronda Rousey, not entirely, bit. not as much not as Damien and Brock, but <laughs> but a little bit. <laughs> and so. It was that was just a funny thing to me whenever I observed them. But back to the music. Yeah, but so so for this album underneath, it's fourteen tracks, but there's there's one intro track, so thirteen if you want to get technical. But about half of the album, they do a a good mix of singing and screaming, and it, a lot of the track I, I'll give them credit. A lot of the tracks don't quite just sound the same which i i appreciate and i think that's one of the benefits of having so many vocalists too that can do right right so many different things you'll have some tracks that are heavier on the pure just abrasive metal and fear shrieking and some that are heavier on on usually sometimes on the female vocals right and one of those tracks in fact and you'll you'll never hear the track the same way again after i mention this yes um in fear there's one part of the song where they just scream in and then pause fear. <laughs> but when they scream, <clears throat> it just sounds like someone belching. <laughs> well, I'll be listening to that as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> and probably that's what I'll hear. I suspect you're right. <clears throat> in fear is the third track on the album. I listened to that one and I, I got the impression it would be a good mosh pit song, but I can't say I necessarily loved the track itself. The tracks that I found myself gravitating to more on repeat listens tended to be the ones that where Reba took the lead and where she was actually singing. To go back to what I mentioned earlier, her vocals sometimes actually reminded me of 90s Swedish rock band Drain STH, who I, <laughs> I always thought deserved better than they got. 
And at other times, she actually has an ability to do a little bit of like a Chino from Deftones kind of thing. I was definitely going to say they they sound like a metalcore version of Deftones in a lot of their songs. Listen to Who I Am is one I recommend for that. That was yes. that was one of my favorites. And it's the one where I think that both of those influences come out a little bit. Yes. Some of my favorite tracks were You and You Alone, uh, which is track four. Who I Am, track five. Sulfur Surrounding, track seven. Sulfur Surrounding is one of the few on there that uh, really feels like a much more straightforward, accessible rock for about the first minute. And then it gets crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Autumn and Car- Carbine is another great one. Possibly my favorite. Just Autumn and Carbine is also just a great name for a song. Yes. A Sliver is another great song, track 13. Yep. And then their single, which we've mentioned this before, it's kind of interesting to put your, your single at the very end of an album, but that's what they did with track 14, Underneath. I love when bands do that. Underneath was the first single released from this album. It came out in January. And it is the final track on the album, so you either got to skip all the way there or listen to the whole thing to get to it. And it's, <laughs> again, we mentioned also the track that they played at that pay-per-view, and that chorus of that track, it's intense and it's catchy at the same time, and like it's going through my head right now as we're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a fantastic song. It's a great piece of work. Of note, Sulphur Surrounding was the third single. Swallowing the Rabbit Hole, which is track two, was the second single, which makes much more sense from a positioning standpoint. I just can't say it was one of my personal favorite tracks. Same here, yeah. Like I said, this is a fairly young band, so they definitely have room to to grow as a band, but they've definitely progressed with each album, so hopefully this is just the beginning for them. But I, I really think that if they had a... Howard Jones type singer that the the band could even be that much greater. What do you mean by a Howard Jones singer? Can you ex- can you explain that a little more in in relation to how like I said we've already mentioned that they have they also already have basically the whole band singing. So what are you what do you think that they're missing in that regard? With a guy like Howard Jones from Killswitch Engage among other bands, he he can scream but he has more of a melodic tone mm. and the other the other singers if if i if you use that term for the band <laughs> they they mostly are just screaming or talking they're not exactly singing per se reba reba is but yeah i can understand that you're, what you're saying yeah they lack um a clean male vocalist yes and howard is good at that and it's it's not saying that the the guys aren't good at what they do screaming. They just I don't think they have the vocal ability to to match Reba on some of the melodic versions. I got to think that that's coming with this band. Yeah, like you said, they're pretty young and I think that for a band that has already evolved and matured and incorporating so so many styles they even have a little bit of, you mentioned they got that kind of industrial stuff, even pick up on a little bit of like hip hoppy things, a little bit of even like a, I don't know, like almost an indie rock thing here and there, just little bits and pieces. I got to think that there's a decent chance that their next stage of evolution as they continue to mature as a band 
will probably include a little something like that. And I'd be willing to bet that for a band that has multiple vocalists, somebody in there could pull that off. Yeah, and that, again, that's just our personal taste. We'll see. They, like I said, they got some really, really good stuff on here. I love a band that has multiple singers in general. We've discussed that on previous episodes with a, a bunch of different bands. But because it's it's a very simple way to create diversity within your own albums. So right. it's hard for songs to all sound the same if you have most of your vocals be a guy growling on one track and then a woman singing melodically on the next one. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it helps you your album to feel more like a ride that's going through different places. Well, and they have a really, really, really deep screamer. Like they have two male screamers and one is really, really deep. And one of them actually kind of reminds me of Ahmed Johnson. Okay. Going back, <laughs> tying back into wrestling. Didn't see Ahmed Johnson coming just now. <laughs> All right. Just just look up fun with Ahmed and read the captions <laughs> and you will laugh and have a great time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, I will I will I will possibly do that. <laughs> wonton wonton beef stew. <laughs> Remind me to put we're gonna put that in the show notes. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> Can I mention a couple other things that, that help this album to stand out? Just a couple different tracks to touch on before we kind of finish it up. Just to speak again to that diversity. They're they're a metalcore band. Their stuff is hard, it's heavy, it's fast on most of the tracks. And obviously we've gone on record here to say that usually they're more mellow stuff, comparatively speaking, is the stuff that resonates more with us. That said, the track Erasure Scan, it starts off with some stuff that really sounds like peak system of a down almost. This It's very fast and intense, and then it kind of turns into something else. You know how system <laughs> of down was known for like changing right. speeds and rhythms and time signatures and stuff like that? Taking a left turn. Taking left turns, and it's definitely one of those tracks. Um, the Easy Way is another track that I particularly liked that has some of those industrial elements, but also it has a fantastic double bass drum going on and yeah. is among the closest things that I would say they have to a radio single. It hasn't been a radio single, but if, if I were listening to this album for the first time and picking one out, this would be among my top contenders. Yeah. And here's one. I, we need to look into this later because this is another one of those not fact check things. But uh, there's a track on here called Cold Metal Place. And there's this sound at the end of it that either <laughs> is or is just very similar to the weird sound that plays in WWE whenever Bray Wyatt's fiend character comes out <laughs> and mauls somebody. You know, it, it, that you know how the character kind of has its own like musical signature. It's not a theme song per se, but it's yeah, this yeah, yeah. weird, very strange, creepy sound. And I'm not positive, but it would be fantastic if it was that that he took <laughs> that sound from this Code Orange song. It would be a great, <laughs> you know, a bonus layer of tie-in with the band and the character. Uh, at the very least, you could see where he might have gotten the idea. Might have been from somewhere in there, right? Although he may have been doing that since before this album came out, so maybe they got the idea from him. Who knows? Maybe I'm just looking too much into things and it just happens to be a couple of creepy <laughs> sounds that I'm mixing up. Certainly a possible thing. But it definitely meshes together. That's that's for sure. Absolutely. 
<sighs> so this one kind of came out of left field. We didn't even originally plan on talking about this. As we mentioned before, not really our style in general. There's a lot of similar bands that came out with no doubt quality albums that frankly we're probably not going to discuss on this show. But uh, these guys might actually sneak onto our list somewhere by the end of the year. I would say there's a decent possibility so far. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially considering the just sheer amount uh, of lack of albums so far. But it's got some good stuff, and if we were doing the radio show, I would uh, play a couple of tracks on on the itch. This is one of those albums where even though I know it's not entirely my thing, sometimes you can recognize when someone is doing a thing well, even if it's not necessarily that it appeals to you personally. I may not be exactly. the target audience, but I recognize exactly. that this is there's something special about this album. Yes, and, and that's ex- exactly that's exactly how I feel about it as well. Yeah, and so hey, kudos to Code Orange because you just snuck right on in here and took us off guard. And so, uh, I mean, we wouldn't be the only ones. I was just looking up some general reviews of this album, and it gets pretty fantastic reviews. I mean, Rolling Stone and Stereo Gum are among multiple places that have it ranked in their top 50 albums of the year so far in 2020. That's not the worst company to be in. And so, yeah, nice job on them. And and I may even have to go back and listen to some of their previous albums. Now, I didn't do that. I really wanted to focus on understanding this one a little bit more. Right. But, like I said, they, they, they've evolved with each album in, in, a good, in a good way. That is always appreciated. I, I love a band that matures and changes things up as they go and seems to get more creative, which is what these guys seem to be doing. Yeah, and they're, they're not afraid to take some chances on, on their albums as well. That's another thing I very much respect. And it, it works in a, in a lot of ways. Yep. So congratulations, Code Orange. <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap this conversation up, but we do want to keep it going, uh, maybe online somehow. Yeah, if you would like to reach out to us, or if there's something that we missed, you can discuss at ItchRocks, I-T-C-H-R-C-K-S, on Facebook, as well as Twitter. You can also email us at itchrocks at gmail.com. We love to be interactive. We love to hear what you think. We love subscriptions, so if you want to subscribe to the show, we are down with that. We love reviews. If you want to leave some of those on Apple Podcasts, we are down with that as well. We would appreciate it greatly, in fact. And if you want to check out our playlists, we just might have a playlist for this one as well on a Spotify near you. I love it. We're building an empire of great playlists right now. (laughs) At least they are to me. And for those of you that have stuck with us throughout the entire show, this particular show, we appreciate it. We do. Thank you for indulging us on the episodes where we just go off the rails into something that is mostly a personal interest. We like to to kind of switch back and forth a little bit between things that we know will appeal to a broader audience and things that might be a little more niche. And so the, I don't know which one this is. Maybe there's a huge overlap between our listenership and wrestling fans. I hope so. One can only hope. <laughs> yeah. And if not, this was still a fun episode to make. I'm sure we'll have Dan back for the next one, so it'll be even more fun because we will be complete and not only at two-thirds strength. That's uh, (laughs) 66.7%, which is a Scott Steiner math problem. (laughs) And that was a very esoteric wrestling joke. And so (laughs) that's a good place to call it a day. Now, here's the problem we got to figure out, Casey, is that Dan usually gets to close this out. So how do we figure this out? (laughs) 
who tells the people to rock on? I don't know. We're going to have to fight for it in the ring. (laughs) So on that note, we are two thirds of the itch and you have been listening to Rock Matters. My name is Aaron. And I'm Casey. And until next time, rock on. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got plenty of links in the show notes to continue the conversation, including the episode's playlist. And you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through Gmail, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. Someone said, I always thought Kidman looked like Steve from Blue's Clues. <laughs> <laughs>